out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Hello, Tim, and welcome. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks. I, um, I just turned 34 on Monday, and I'm, uh, you know, riding that wave. It feels good. Is that true? How did I not know this? I don't know. You didn't tell me. <laughs> yes, I didn't tell you. No. For my birthday, I don't, I don't really reach out to people. Yeah. Um... But I'm doing well because of that. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm a little hot. Um, you know, other than that, I'm trying to get in shape. Like, I'm trying to make healthy choices. And, and like, I stopped drinking beer temporarily. But, like, I stopped, you know, I'm trying to, like, exercise and eat well and all that stuff. And no. my body is very upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's but it it's it's like the whiplash, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, totally. It's excited no, too. It's good. It's just it took f- about four days of like really feeling quite bad, and now last night for the first time I kind of felt more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then today I woke up and I was like, oh, I actually feel I I feel all right. Not craving those alcoholic calorie sugars. Not really. Good, good. That's good At to the hear. Moment. <laughs> It's it is early, so I like to think you're starting off my thirty fourth year right, Tim. <laughs> this um, is for you, Ryan. And I I'm say, trying to I'm trying to move more towards a uh, a less meat uh, diet too. Yeah, so. well, that makes me really happy. And what also makes me happy, Tim? Why I said welcome, Tim? I wasn't just welcoming you to our podcast show, Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Esson. Dismember a horror film each week. We talk about what worked, what did not work, and anything else interesting or noteworthy about a horror film we've watched. I'm not just welcoming you to that, but I'm welcoming you to the triple-digit episodes, Past 100, our first hey. official. We're on episode 101, baby. Wow. What what a what a millennium? No, that's just, a thousand shit. What, you know, a, what a hundo. <laughs> what a hundo we're in. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 49 episodes, we'll make it to Hundo Funfo. I yes. can't wait. Me um, neither. But God, I'm so ex- like a year from now. I've been so excited <laughs> for these triple digits because I've really felt ambivalent about our using like the the triple digit uh, naming oh, yeah. convention for <laughs> zero, our episodes. Zero five. Yeah. Epi- zero five four or whatever. Episode zero zero five. It almost felt like I was doing that in kind of like a what's it um self self annoying way. Um, annoying myself way just just for the satisfaction like a masochistic way yes that was the word a masochistic way just so the satisfaction once we got to episode 100 <laughs> was going to be that all the much sweeter oh man it's so sweet it's like the sweet sweet nectar of the gods yeah the number <laughs> gods and uh sorry anyone just joining us i did do our intro but in rapid speed as part of a, a long run that's on the sentence. way to do it now as I like to do. They know. They know. Right. We don't need to belabor that one. Well, just the last the last points that I kind of like to add on that's not kind of part of that that thing exactly is, if you haven't guessed already, this is very much in the spirit of two friends getting together and having <laughs> uh, just watched a horror movie, so not just, mm-hmm. you know, to just totally shoot the shit. Um, 
And to, I, it, was, it was cool starting off 101. I, I, it was a fun, solid movie. It gave me hope. Like, there's still plenty left to see. Oh, sure. And uh, the film I'm talking about is The Uninvited from 19, mm. 1944. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, anything else you want to explain about our show or ca- uh, address anything from previous episodes? Oh, man. Uh... That last episode was a long one, but I hope people enjoyed it. Yeah, people like the top lists, so we yeah. gave we gave them four of them. <laughs> you know what we could do theoretically? I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but like we could always like timestamp things in the future if people want. You know, it's like you'd be like, if you want to just listen to the list, here's when it happens. But totally, whatever. If somebody wants that, you can just tell us. Cool. All right. Well, it sounds like uh, we're set. Let's just get right into it with, we start with a trailer, the original theatrical trailer, if it's there, which it is there for, here we go, from 1944, The Uninvited. This is the voice of The Uninvited. It's coming from downstairs. It comes from everywhere and... Nowhere. A house of terror on the haunted cliffs of Cornwall, where the uninvited walk unseen by men. Yet a cat arches its back in fright. (coughs) Flowers are withered by the touch of an unseen malignant hand. Candles flicker and die as a ghostly chill fills the air, and the living are clutched by the icy horror of the restless dead. Stop, Pamela. Don't go near that door. The Uninvited, Dorothy McCardle's gripping novel of the supernatural, comes to the screen, starring Ray Land, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, with Cornelia Otis Skinner, and introducing the exciting beauty of Gail Russell, whose first love is shadowed by the specters of the past. Stella, what is it? Are you ill, Stella? Quiet. Leave her alone. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stop her, Scott. She's in a trance. I saw this happen once before to say. It comes from everywhere and nowhere. Oh, boy. Ah, uh, the mean, 40s. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I mean, yeah, with the, the music coming in and all that. Uh, um, I mean, hey, I, I love I love it. <laughs> I love there's the, what there is There's a ghost in your love. house. Oh, well, my you, God, that door opened. By, oh, it was a cat. <laughs> hey, buddy. Um, yeah, Sixto, there was a cat in this movie. Do you see ghosts? Mm. Um, they do. Um, okay, Tim. <laughs> yes, okay, Ryan. Okay, okay. Here we go. We, we did our trailer. Now is our rating per our rating system. Would we tell ourselves, would Tim talking to Tim and would Ryan talking to Ryan say that you should avoid the invited, the uninvited, stream it, <laughs> <laughs> stream it, rent it, or buy it? Well, Ryan, I'm going to start this new hundred episodes exactly the way I ended the last hundred by by being a stream for almost everything. (laughs) Great. Great, great, great. I like that start. Well, I got to be true uh, to, well, I haven't changed drastically in the last hundred episodes as far as my tastes either. So, you know, I'm a sucker for any of these Criterion released films like, Man, yeah. they're 
I'm an absolute sucker for it. Um, this one was a rent it, but could see it improving to a buy it now that I know what it is versus, mm -hmm. you know, now, now that I'm not going to have my expectations versus what it is. Right, and right. There is more, definitely more that I enjoyed um, that I think will grow on me and expand and come to the forefront. Um, and even what it wasn't working, why it's not a buy it was just kind of less specific or just very first time viewing things it felt like, but yeah. for now rent it. Yeah. Hey, did you know that Ruth Hussey, uh, was born on October 30th? <laughs> I got really excited as I started to say that. And then I realized that October 30th isn't Halloween. Well, I'm like okay, <laughs> and for our listeners Whoops. who doesn't even don't even know who that is, um, if you didn't watch the film and read the cast list, uh, Ruth Hussey <laughs> plays Pamela Fitzgerald, and that's a perfect segue into our next section, the summary. Who is Pamela Fitzgerald, Tim? <laughs> Pamela is the sister of uh, what's his nut Roderick Rayma Land. Or whatever, however you say his name. <laughs> this is going well. Um, so, oh, Jesus, Miland. Uh, so, okay. God, this movie. Let's see. Rick. Let's just call him Rick because everybody calls him Rick. Roderick, yeah. <laughs> so, Pam and Rick, they're having a nice a nice jaunt on, on the, the rocky cliffs of some beach. And... Uh, a reminder of their siblings, just... Yep. Yeah. Remember that because it sure makes total sense. And uh, so, yeah, so they're they're having a little jaunt and their dog chases a squirrel into a <clears throat> seemingly abandoned or just not occupied kind of mansion-y house on the cliffs of the ocean. And it's a pretty cool house. And they quickly decide after a short debate that they should buy it. <laughs> and the windward house that's right and they should uh they should move in together brother and sister because that's a thing i and... mean I, hey hold on tim you're coming at i mean this was a while ago i really don't feel like at least how it was presented here that like that in itself is odd like i don't think it's i just think it's an odd construct mm -hmm. like you know i mean i get why you it here's what it is it's it's serving a plot point. It's not like there's no other reason to do it other than to have them be able to have love interests. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool as just an interesting, different jumping off point and just made me made them likable in just a way. Oh, OK, this is cool. I haven't really seen this. All right. Fair enough. So they buy the house, but there's a little bit of sort of rumor and suspicion around the house. Maybe it's a haunted house. They get it for a suspiciously good deal from someone who seems pretty um, <laughs> uh, excited to get rid of it. They buy that house for 1,200 pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, 1200. it wasn't 12,000? Wasn't I think it was 1,200. Maybe I'm wrong, but 12,000, even 12,000. But maybe. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, a pound has traditionally been about uh, 
double the value of a dollar. So it would be $2,400 or $24,000. What you choose for a fucking mansion on the on the rocky cliffs of the ocean. It's like, it's ridiculous, but awesome. I would take that deal. Haunted or not. Fuck yeah. So the only caveat to this deal or the sort of like the little, uh, I don't know, sort of side note is that the guy who's selling it, his granddaughter is sort of like, fuck this. I don't want you to sell it because it was my mom's house and that's where she died. The granddaughter is Stella, who's one of our main players. Right. And so that kind of sets us off on a journey of Rick falling for for 20-year-old Stella and the house being haunted and they hear you know, cr- crying voices in the night and, you know, candles flicker and all sorts of fun, eerie stuff. And then they try to figure out what the fuck's going on. Yeah. That's kind of it. I mean, very, very standard haunted house kind of construct of like, why is this house haunted? It's got to be something from the past. It's a, a, you know, a restless spirit. Let's figure out the mystery as to why it's restless and see and if we can set it free. What's so cool, though, is, you know, you say this is kind of like the classic haunted house construct. This was the first film to do it. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so this is... And it's at, cool that, at, this, that, that this... Yeah, that everything has kind of... Uh, trickled down from this. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this set the state. I mean, we'll get we'll get more into that. But just how about as far as the summary goes? Can you expound on or explain to me the Ooh. kind of twist? Yeah. Okay. The, the Let me story. see if I can. Okay. So the story is. Oh God. So Stella's mother was a woman named Mary Meredith, which, if that's not confusing, it took me almost the entire movie to get that Mary and Meredith were the same person and not two <laughs> separate people. <laughs> that was a task. But they... Okay, so so Mary Meredith... Uh, we know she fell to her death. Correct. So she fell and died on those cliffs. The cliffs right outside the mansion, yeah. And there were two other people there to witness it. One was Cornelia. Is that right? Am I saying? No, I'm sorry. Carmel, not Cornelia. Jesus. So Carmel, who is a a gypsy um, (laughs) (laughs) and who is also Mary's husband's mistress so they had an affair that's important and then the the other person who was there is a woman called miss holloway and she was i guess sort of like what uh like um she's a doctor sort of was she there sort of their like it live in nurse something something like that that. (laughs) Anyway, so, oh God, this is, it's super convoluted. How do we get it straight? So we know that the house is being haunted and we know sort of facts about Stella's mom or presumed facts about her mom and that it was tragedy and that Stella, you know, was, what I don't understand is what happened to the dad, like her dad. 
Is that ever Where explained? was he among all this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, there's this whole thing of them going back to Paris and then coming back to the Windward house and then telling Carmel to fuck off and then Carmel comes back. How about how about this? Okay, we the, the twist a... the twist is that there are two ghosts instead of one, one good, one bad, yeah. when we've sort of been led to believe that the ghost is solely the mother, uh, uh, Mary. Mary, but it turns out Mary isn't Stella's mother. That's right. So the twist is that Stella is the illegitimate child of Carmel through the affair and that Mary cut a deal with Carmel to say, fuck off, I'll take this child back to the States or whatever and you, they paid her off to, to stay away. And Carmel said, I'm not cool with that, came back. And then, oh God. And then in the ensuing fight over Stella, Mary fell off the cliff. Yes. Sort of. Is that kind of right? Yeah. I mean, it, it gets, it got super confusing so to me. So you can also see why this is why I think I'll enjoy it more a second time through. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is also kind of a known thing about it. In one of the interviews I was reading with the filmmaker or the interview I read with the filmmaker, the interviewer was straight up like, uh, is it the story a little confusing? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and uh, quickly like, yeah. That's was the director is like, yeah, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, it's based on a novel, so it's like, you know, I bet it reads pretty easy in the novel. It's like it, you're able to follow along. You, you've got constraints when you're making a 1944 movie yeah. as to what you can keep in and keep out and how you can explain it and all that kind of stuff. But all in all, I mean, I get it. I think it's a cool revelation, uh, and it does lead to a, a fairly – clear and and like satisfying uh catharsis to get that information and then go oh okay now we have something to conclude yeah um but then everybody lives happily ever after yeah i guess except for mary (laughs) right um and we'll get into more of just kind of what happens uh throughout the what what are the phenomena what do they do how are they dealing with it i'm sure as we get into Our next section, if you're ready for it, Tim. Oh, I'm always ready, baby. All right. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? (laughs) It worked like a charm, Smith. (laughs) What worked? What worked for you? All right. I'll start with then to something where you said, yeah, you pointed out, and this is still totally true how it's like the, um, how did you put it? Oh yeah, who happens to be? She happens to be twenty, and we have this guy who's like the stand. He's the uh, the actors from Ray Milland as Rick from A Dial M with Murder. Is yeah, he's how I pretty famous. With like, I know he's, his name. For he sure. looks like Jimmy Stewart. It's funny. He does um, you're right, but he's at that age, so it is a little. Weird. But here's Tim. Is the thing is a big different. It doesn't change that that fact, but the movie acknowledges it. His character. Yeah goes oh what are you talking about she's just a girl kind of thing you know and that (laughs) is just yeah that is just evidence that the movie is just it's it's so many of these horror movies we watch there's a line it's like do these people are they even thinking about like basic things 
or are they not? You know, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. are they in touch with reality enough kind of to, 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 to be build fair, that into the film? As, as as sort of on its face, cringy as it seems, Ray Meland and, you know, by proxy Rick, uh, in 1943, when they filmed this, he uh, would have been 33. He looks way older. Um, I agree, but and any- so I'm gonna I'm gonna argue for the fact that when I was 33, I dated a 20 year old for two months too. It didn't work out, guys, because <laughs> that's a big gap. <laughs> and um, this is not the topic that I was necessarily meaning to bring up with it because <laughs> I what I meant to do was just say that was a very very small thing that then. Ah, it's evidence, though, of this movie. And that's this is trying to segue to that's is overall. This was a good movie. It was not a (laughs) by filmmakers who knew what was up, you know? Yeah, I mean, they I think they handle it mostly appropriately. um, Right. Like in terms of storytelling and like giving people point of view and not just skimming over things that the audience or even us would be like, "Uh, what? Yeah, it's. I, I got to say, yeah, yeah. So now, um, yeah, th- just the the bigger things that I thought, yeah, were really good about it was working. It's just like, yeah, really well done movie. Um, the, like when you were trying to explain that, what's the, what's the actual story going on behind it all? Usually that's the thing like in, I hate to say it, like the others. I mean, I haven't seen it in forever, but any kind of more modern ghost film where it's like all about the learning of the story and it's, oh, and this person took revenge on them. What, what's the one that we just watched with like the lodgers? The lodgers. But like something about this and um, the innocence, mm-hmm. which we watched, which, you know, feels we kind of lump them together, but they actually, that was made in the 60s versus yeah, this. Like 15, 16 years later. Yeah. So yeah, just a little context, but. It's crazy. Point being something about when they're those earlier ones i'm i i i get into it way more as far as like whatever that story is behind Mm. it like something about more modern films i just want it to be like okay it's evil straight and simple great i don't care about all this other stuff but something about here it feels built into the text and just kind of what exactly you would want from these at least for me well they do what I think is a incredibly important and sometimes, if not often, overlooked thing right off the bat. They have one character, the woman, Pam, who is essentially like, hmm, there's some supernatural shit going on. So she calls it right away. She senses it. She knows what's up. She's correct. Yes. And then you have Rick, her dumbass brother, <laughs> who's so like... He just gaslights and fucking projects on her constantly. It's it's amazing, <laughs> right? But he is effectively wrong. And so it gives us somewhere to go because he's sitting there going, no, 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 don't get hysterical, even though he, she's like completely calm. He keeps right. saying, don't get hysterical, Pam. And and he's the hysterical one. And he's also the one going, there's there's a scientific explanation. Don't get crazy. This he's is also, it's t- totally fine. It's totally fine. But he's also but, not, though. Oh, sorry, you were getting somewhere. Well, but then he, it's, the so the character is saying that, but it's presented in a way that's very clearly 
a cover. Like he is, they film him saying to his completely calm sister, don't get hysterical. And so we see right away. And then we get a little moment of him kind of being like, like when she walks away where it's like, oh, we're being told. It's not just cringy. We're being told he's acting out. And so what it does is it gives us an opportunity for his character to actually have an arc and not just be this sort of bullshit, misogynistic, like patriarchal, you know, annoying character. He ends up through Stella and through the experience learning to not be such a dick. Yeah. And that's important, right? It seems like and that... That's, I mean, that's what uh, one of the aspects really, really kept my attention always in these movies and this one, especially of like just seeing how everyone is dealing and adapting with being confronted with a haunting. Like, um, yeah, seeing his character go through that arc. But it seemed like it was all actually pretty subtle, which I enjoyed as far as like when he takes, when, when I loved when we just hear that crying and moaning and, this woman's crying and moaning and we hear and he steps out to check it out and then uh pamela's like no it's like you heard in the trailer it's it's everywhere and it's nowhere like i've looked everywhere right right she knows all about it and seeing him take that in kind of thing and like oh wow we both hear it Um, yeah it's also this is another smart storytelling sort of thing it's pretty subtle but what they do is that when they move into the house they don't move in together Mm-hmm. Pam Pam moves in, I think it's like two weeks or something like that, prior, gets the house all sort of set up and like all the furniture moved in and however they want the house to be. He's on assignment still in London or wherever. And when he shows up, we're experiencing a bit of the movie through him, mm-hmm. which is good, right? Like we are the naive you know, audience, we, we're that perspective coming in. We should be learning through his eyes and the people around him should be sort of like giving us the proper, you know, information to move forward. And yeah, and it's always just cool as sort of showing character and how they're reacting to all this playing out. Like I, I thought it was neat how the grandfather, the guy who sells them the house, you know, is in it throughout Commander Beach. Commander. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he says uh when we first meet him he's kind of like all that is nonsense this haunted stuff it's just it's just the sound of the wind that you know stories being told kind of thing but then we as soon as we learn the reason he's that that's that is adamant lying because he believes it um that's right which yeah it's not too i don't know not too typical as far as seeing it um i don't know it kind of felt like a twist almost in that way it was cool that's right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, yeah, I like that device a lot, actually, because mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, have we, what's the, uh, what's a good kind of counter example of that? It's like, like, I can see, I can sort of imagine that cliched character who's, who's the like stick in the mud, doesn't believe in any of it at all and gets his comeuppance because of that. Whereas <laughs> this is sort of the, uh, it's, it's similar, but it's, it's a little more nuanced where it's like, He's being a stick in the mud for a purpose to conceal a truth. Yeah. And that's way more interesting, right? Exactly. Like, now, now, granted, maybe the comeuppance for the stick in the mud, the first example, is more pleasurable for an audience in certain, 
you know, depictions, that's that's fine. But it's very kind of on the surface, one dimensional of, of character building. When you have a character that's got a secret or like is hiding things or, you know, doesn't want to face reality, but like knows the truth, like all those things are giving they're developing a, a good, you know, structure to a character that you could just skate by on. You don't need that to exist in this movie. Right. And we see lots of movies where it doesn't. But it's just a, it's just an example of them doing the extra sort of work on character. Yeah. And when I say they, I'm sort of combining both the, the author of the novel and the filmmakers. Yeah, absolutely. I actually thought like the the character, I mean, yeah, well done in, in that sense. And also just like there's there's something to just you, you feel it when when the movie starts, how how well drawn they are and just like the first lines and everything and how they're playing it. I was I was immediately like into them. Uh, yeah, like just something about their how how they played it. You know, it just was not so far over the top or anything. Like, um, I don't, I don't not even just movies from this era, but all Hollywood studio films mostly. Yeah. Um, you know, can be unintended. Um, but and, and I'll just get this out of the way. But like example, I thought it was probably one of the best examples of uh the the save the cat idea at the beginning of showing people like animals just uh like that whole <laughs> this is such not a big scene when I kind of want to start with the bigger things. But I just love they have this chase scene between a dog and a squirrel. That's what's that's what starts the film, people, and it's amazing. It's like it's like long enough to be thorough you know it's like i don't know it was great it was a little sequence of a dog chasing a squirrel through this big <laughs> mansion it was a cute dog um yeah a little but but seeing oh, I, guess, I guess more specifically but the thing like on top of that like how it played with the characters it's so rare do you see in movies people talking to pets how people talk to pets um, I, I yeah. talked to my cat earlier, you know, they're just another, they're just another, you know, member of the family. And that's, that's how they talk to their dog. They're like, what are you, what is that? I don't know. Just the casual. I'd never really heard that, especially in, maybe it just stood out cause it was an older film, but, um, pretty, <laughs> pretty incredible. Anyways, on to more major things. Um, the, uh, the setting and the atmosphere is like, that's what makes this movie. Yeah way yeah, up there i agree the the setting being seaside the mansion and like utilizing this cliff that's right there of course and i got the stuff where it's like built into the story of being drawn to run off the cliff um they did some really really cool stuff just filming wise yeah because like, because it seems pretty clear that we're going back and forth there is an actual house on a cliff that they got some location shots for there's I think it's the it's Cornwall, I think, is the area in England that is this sort of, um, you know, like fishing town cliffs and such, um, which I don't know anything about. It's in West England, Southwest England. Great. Um, <clears throat> but in I assume predominantly it's shot on a set. And so they do really cool stuff with having you know at the time what would have been blue screen out the windows 
and lighting that well, making it feel believable. They're shooting, you know, sea, sea stuff and all of the blue screen stuff that they do, because there's a fair amount of it, is really well done for the I time. I didn't notice that. <laughs> so there's on the cliff, they, uh-huh. they double the cliff. Um, half the time it's a set and half the time it's not. And the background of the ocean and the and the rocky cliffs and stuff behind them, that's blue screen. That's oh. that's a comp. Uh, when they go sailing, that's all a comp. They don't actually I, go sailing. I knew that the, the, the mansion was comped in, but I wasn't sure if it was kind of like just these wide shots or what it was, you know. Yeah, I mean, out, out of windows, there's a number of them that are comps that are really fucking good. Cool. See, I mean, well, they did a so- fucking good job. For the time... Holy fuck. Well, I mean, you hear it. I literally didn't notice or right. care. Pay my, no I mean, mind. I was looking for it and kind of going, damn, that's that's really good. <laughs> um, Yeah. And aside from just the overall setting like that, which you just like what you're just saying and have said about things, it feels wet. It's damp. It's yeah. great. It's see you feel that salty air. You could taste that that taffy. Um, oh, man. I could the, taste that town. Yeah. That right. Town is like. That's one of my favorite types of places on the planet. An older sort of like cobblestone fishing town, like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. With a mysterious house that everyone knows by name at the oh, t- <laughs> I love it. Um the uh and but within the house too, of course, you know, not just overall, but the um, the room, it's it was so neat to have this in a movie because especially when you when you hear or have experienced anything like any haunted type story, there's often you know you always hear, or maybe you've experienced this room just feels wrong. It's all mm-hmm. centered around this room, and that was just like a major um, I don't know th- th- thread idea in this where there's the um, the grandfather, I guess the father's old like art studio room that's mm-hmm. like the the sort of addict um with windows that are all water stained kind of thing but the lights coming in so it's beautiful and eerie in a way but it's so neat that's the room where whenever they step into and it's also it's neat when they they check they're like i think we may have gotten rid of it or whatever and then they go up and check and immediately just oh they feel it and we feel it it's so good it's so well good. it's it's a really i mean i'm i'm going to this is conjecture i'm going to i'm going to place some personal i don't know edification onto this but if you look at it from a sort of a, a dramaturgical sense that room is is traditionally what you would call kind of a sunroom right it's it's mostly windows in fact it's largely one wall is windows including part of the the roof is mm-hmm. is one big sort of set of plate windows and to have the room where quote unquote all of the darkness or the malevolence is coming from and and maybe that's not exactly the right way to put it but the 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 other side ism is happening in that room that represents light mm-hmm. but we spend a lot of time in that room in at night in the darkness and so it's sort of it becomes a bit of a metaphor for like enlightenment like learning the truth Right. Mm. Like we spend time in a room that should be well lit all the time is built specifically to be lit, but we spend it in darkness. In fact, there's even a scene when Stella and and Rick are in there and he has and they are completely silhouetted. It's gorgeous. 
It's so beautiful. And he says, uh, you know, I the light like we need to put some light on your face because you're I can barely see you. Yeah. And like even that just as a fucking metaphor right there is is brilliant right like it's the whole movie in a way god i didn't even god how obvious right that the haunted room is the sunroom <laughs> like right. so good it's, it's great and the architecture of that house is really really beautiful yeah absolutely i mean that huge round window at the top of the stairs the staircase in and of itself like that sunroom, like all it's <laughs> the cool bathroom that they talk about where there's a fireplace in the bathroom. Like, oh, yeah, all that it, shit is fucking like great. A skinny fireplace. How it... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, super interesting. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, it's the atmosphere and their ability to translate that in a in a way that may, like hits us kind of like well, in our guts is so good. Even just. um it's interesting to see, yeah, like they they helped do that. I remember with that room specifically, with the um, flowers dying as soon as they enter. But mm-hmm. what was so interesting to me, I mean, it it looked cool. It was really neat and you know classic, as we'd say. Um, but you know, truly here. Um, <laughs> right. But it uh, the fact that they made the choice where they didn't notice it because like you just felt it coming, kind of you know before knowing yeah. that this movie that it was that was good and thought out that you think like okay there are the flowers dying they're gonna turn and go like Rick what was that those flowers were just alive nope 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 they, they don't do even a di- they do a different thing which is really smart they they distract us away from they they double up on the the that there is a unseen force that they don't know or understand because yeah. the flowers happen. They don't notice it. And then the dog starts barking unusually and they just write it off like, Oh, he's just chasing after the squirrel again. But we know because of the flowers that that's what he's barking at. He's barking at a different thing and they don't. And so we're playing, we, we spend half of the movie ahead of them and then the other half of the movie behind them, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not behind them, but like with them, sort of. We learn as they learn. Yeah, but, yeah. But up to a certain point, we know. We already know what's up. I feel like it's like a good just structure for a, a haunted house movies, or just know yeah. that that's a way to look at it when you're breaking yeah, it down. Sure. Um, her, uh, and I mean her, I mean Stella. When she goes for the cliff, that was such a neat moment. Where, it's, <laughs> yeah. um, how she described it afterwards, she does, um. She, does she does he get to her or does she stop? I forget. The first time he gets, he grabs her. The right. second time she stops and then the cliff erodes underneath her feet, which is an incredible stunt. Oh, right, right. Well, I mean, just the and thing he, that... And she sort of, he grabs her and she grabs a root of the tree there. It's really, um, really good. What she said, though, after the first time really struck me, where she, how did she describe it? It was like, I... I felt I wasn't scared at all. It just felt like this the sound was comforting. The sound of the ocean was comforting. Yeah, something like that. That's right. She's yes, very she was like, "Oh, I just felt like I mm, something something very placid about her response it just to it." Kind of conjured that inner horror of like when you're standing over a cliff and you feel that that like pull, mm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um this is a thing that I looked up at one point because I thought it was weird that I would have that emotion. It's like, have you ever been driving in a car and thought to yourself, I could just 
drive the car off this cliff right now. Yeah. Or you're sitting in the passenger seat and you have this this momentary thought of like, I could just open the door and like leap out. I mean, Christopher like, Walken's don't... speech in Annie Hall. That's that's the famous one where he's like, you ever see the headlights at night coming and you want to turn and drive in? It's something like that. You yeah, know, yeah. Talk about turning and driving into the car. Well, there's a whole, you know, this is a, a psychologically studied thing right it is it is your brain checking in on your mortality right and and basically giving you an opportunity to remember a you're mortal like you can die and b you have the ability to both control that and stay alive and choice i guess to to not so there's there's sort of a a weird like it's like a safety mechanism. You're checking in with the safety mechanism of your brain to yeah. like stay alive. And it's, you know, it's good. It's yeah. everybody has it. It's it's a healthy thing. And that's why it was so particularly disturbing is because it was like seeing that happen out of her control. You know, it's just right. bringing it that little bit further where she's she's literally doing the running and has to be stopped. There's something scarier about it being that versus that she was intentionally just distraught and trying to commit mm-hmm. suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, she's drawn. Some, I mean, just I gotta, you know, knock out the, the ghosty, the clearly ghosty things that were so neat. We had our, I, I honestly, I will say that other than one, which you can see the device. I think the ghost shit is, some of the better stuff right like it stand i would you would put exactly all of these tricks work in a modern film it felt like yeah you know when you're going to haunted mansion as a kid or something the way the apparition appears it's that exact floaty ghostbusters almost kind of it's so good yeah i can't describe it's it's just enough to make out that it could be like the figure of a woman Right. Like that's that's what's so neat about it and is exactly how kind of like you hear people when they say they've seen some kind of apparition of Tim's like, hey, I did. I mean, um, it it is very, very I mean, I, I hate to be cliched about it, but it is pretty much the vibe of what I saw when I saw yeah, ghost. It was his like, name was Mary as well, apparently. Which is, is how you show like, hey, um, oh, wow. Um, but a, like you're watching a projection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but specifically, yeah, how it was like, it could just be like it's waves. But no, you do just make out the kind of like shoulders and, and mm-hmm. head and long hair. It's really they neat. do another genius thing about that. They set up early when they're walking through the house. They set up that because this house is on a cliff and the ocean is right there, the reflection of the ocean dances on the ceiling and walls. And right. that you get that kind of reflect, refracted you know, light play that makes you almost feel like you're underwater. And to have the ghost sort of have a similar thing is a really cool just it's just a you're carrying on with that imagery and that sort of vibe, which is really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so aside from the apparition itself, which we see those those few couple times towards the end, there is that that um, pillar of a scene, the seance scene, yes. which, God, so was, good. yeah, so good. So we learned too, like going into it, the kind of where uh, Rick is kind of instigating it because he wants to 
fake the it's like they set up kind of like an at-home Ouija board and he wants to control their uh, planchette, right. uh, which is like the wine glass they're using. Uh, um, it's a brandy glass. Thank you very much. A brandy glass. Of course. Of course. Um, to to basically tell um, to tell Stella that well, I guess they want to communicate her not to go to the house anymore or they yeah. want to like something like that, which, hey, talk about, you know, connect like themes of gaslighting and controlling and, um, you know, um, misappropriating information it doesn't work yeah it doesn't work the <laughs> the ghost take control it's and it's it's so cool um, uh just to that point just yeah. a quick uh, uh side note part of why i think so much of the the kind of what we talk about gaslighting or or patriarchal projection that kind of stuff that exists in this movie and of that time part of why it's so well handled and works so well in this story i think is largely due to the fact that the novel was written by a fucking woman. Yeah. And so it it's in there. She's it is a point of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dorothy Dorothy McCard McCardle. McCardle. Yeah. McCardle, I like that. I kind of want to read it to be honest. Yeah. Let me try and find it. Um oh yeah, no that scene though. I mean, just just wholly successful and just like the eeriness of it. You you say you had your your apparition sighting. I had a crazy uh, Ouija board experience, which I won't Ooh. get into. I know everyone's initial reaction is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just moving it, and but I mean, <laughs> take my word for it. I mean, yeah, I think those things too. Like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I rule things out. <laughs> you know, like um, anyway. Sorry, I have to get to that. But anyway, point being the eeriness that it felt like in real life was very much there and captured in the sequence. Granted, I haven't seen the Ouija movies. Um, oh God, I recent have years they are horrible. <laughs> but uh, fun, but horrible. Oh man, this this film. Um, yeah, that sequence just really. Yeah, I don't know. They 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 there were some particular ways that it moved that uh brought mm-hmm. me right ba- right brought me right back yeah it'd be it'd be fun to see like a behind the scenes of how they did that one yeah i love I'm, that stuff it had to I have mean, been like the controlled a, underneath yeah thing, every time you know. a door opens or closes feels good like the, it's got a good weight and pace to it the pages moving on their own of the book so or the, whatever <laughs> the pages you can see the string you can tim you can <laughs> okay I saw the string and I was I was annoyed. I was like, "Oh, you're so close, but there's the string." Well, you were watching it on your your bigger TV. I was also standing like four feet from my big TV. When <laughs> there you go. Where's the string? Um, it was fun. To how maybe um, just kind of something else I didn't mention about like the the twist and the kind of the story behind it. And I was saying how like other films do it. Maybe just something about when you learn what the story is, it feels familiar or whatever. But what was so neat about this one was that there is what you didn't see coming, that it was the actual the rival ghosts aspect to it, that mm-hmm. you had the good one and the bad one. And um, I don't know. And that that was the interesting story for it behind me. That was the idea of these rival ghosts. And... Um, and that there was the, the the good one. I forget what, how how they resolved that ghost specifically. 
she just went away. But he, he Rick, what Rick does to the bad ghost, I was like waiting for, I just wanted to see it the whole film and was so excited. Kind of like, you know, when you, when you hear like people exercising houses and stuff like that, blessing homes, you're casting out those bad guys saying, we don't want you here. Yeah, Get out yeah. of here. And then to have him doing exactly that and like throw the candelabra like at the <laughs> yeah. bad ghost. I'm like, yeah, Rick, that's how you do it. You it's tell on the it. poster, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing that candelabra hard. By the way, if you just want to see all old black and white films where someone's walking along at night with a holding a, a, a candelabra uh, in a haunted house, this is one of them. So, yep. <laughs> watch this in the innocence and you'll know you'll, you'll get your fix. That's right. So the way that that Stella and them all sort of get the good ghost, Carmel, which we learn is the good ghost. We we had been under the impression that Mary was the, the good ghost the whole time or just that Mary was. I don't know. Did you feel like you, there was a distinction between good and evil? Um, I, You mean like throughout when the ghosts would show yeah, up throughout? No, it was always just kind of like. No, it felt like it was always the more sinister presence, but then you did have the moments. In retrospect, I'd have to kind of see it again, I guess. Yeah. You know, it kind of really was a twist. But like when the book is turning, I guess now looking at it, I'm like, oh, that didn't actually feel sinister. Yeah. I think I think that there's some subtle suggestions of it, but it's not super explicit throughout. Um, like, because Stella, there are times when they say, oh, I don't feel good in this room kind of thing. And then there are times where it's like, oh, but now I smell. Um, what was the oh, what was the smell that they kept smelling? Oh, right. Not it, they say it about 50 times. I forget. Not coriander. Mary no, it starts, gold. It starts no. with an M. M? Oh, God, what was that? Shit. So funny. Not marmalade. Uh, <laughs> I know. That's what I wanted to say, marmalade. It's like magnolia so, what, or something. It's not. Yeah, that's, a flower. That's not it. Shit. Oh, Anyways, man. we, we I don't think see that. It in the in the summer either. Damn. That was smart because we learned that that scent, that perfume is Stella's. So we think, oh, that means Stella's here, which is what happens. At one point, she's hiding out and it's like, oh, Stella's here. That's why we smelled that. But she tells us early on that it was her mother's perfume. So then... Which then becomes true, which is so cool that they are assuming the whole... Everybody thinks that Mary was Stella's mother and therefore when they smell that scent, they're smelling Mary's spirit. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that when they make the realization that Carmel is Stella's actual mother, Stella says, oh, I was my father wasn't saying that Mary smelled like that. He was always just saying that my mother smelled like that. Mm -hmm. And my and this is sort of like pushing. That's how they come to kind of understand that there are two ghosts because they've now they now know that her mother is Carmel and so that when they've been smelling that they were smelling Stella's actual mother Carmel and that these other things are Mary. Mm. And so there's that that's kind of where we land with it's still a little convoluted but like it's how we get a bit of a distinction between who's who. <laughs> um but what was I going to say about that? Oh, I don't know. The scent. It's cool. <laughs> the perfume. Yeah. Something about the good and the bad. Marigolds. Anyways. Marigold. 
No. Is, no? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, <laughs> muffins. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's the scent of muffins. Uh, I feel <laughs> like this is pretty good for what worked. Do you have anything else? Um, well, I think just to comment on Stella as an actress, this was introducing her. She, I guess, hadn't done anything else. I didn't really go deep into She's She's in other shit. You mean Gail Russell? Yeah, her name's Gail Russell. She is, I, I, the whole movie, I was like, I have seen her before or I, or like the familiarity of how she looks She's was very striking. Yeah. I, yeah. Super striking. But like, I, it was, it's one of those things where your brain goes, I recognize this person, but I know this isn't the person that I recognize. They just look so much like somebody, you know, I yeah. cannot figure out who it is, but very compelling, uh, quite good. I mean, she, I think she holds her own with these other pretty fucking established stars. Actually, yeah, I'm, I am really glad you mentioned that because in Things of Note, I want to mention more who she was. But mm, I think the, cool. the more the more important thing than actually mentioning any of that is I think she did bring a very, um, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of another word than just g- great performance. But um very you're you're you feel her you're drawn in it's effective exactly. which i think for this type of movie in particular is super important to find that person who gives you kind of both a sense of unease but also like you want to like you're like compelled by them you kind of want to be like whoa wait what's going on i i don't know yeah. i want to do i want to help you or do it what like what's like ah and you, you kind of you, because we're seeing it all through rick we're like, well, yeah, she's enchanting, right? Like, right. And he's well, enchanted by her. You see, though, that just when it's just one of those people where it's like you feel their world, like just by their presence. And yeah. you can kind of really get sucked into it and buy into it and um, all that jazz. And just was a really nice counterpoint to like, you know, also say, yeah, the, the siblings, everyone in this was great, but like the siblings kind of just where they weren't. You know, you're just so afraid that they'd fall into something a little more, you know, not not yucky as in gross, but just kind of like, hey, you know, we're mm. we're nineteen we're 1940s people, but it never really went. No, there. I think yeah. I think it actually functions in the opposite way and really really well. It, it feels really progressive to me, actually. The, the 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 foundation of what seems to be kind of the underlying theme beyond the haunted stuff, but there's sort of this underlying theme of like live your life, do what you want to do. And the women, so Pam is really the bigger advocate for that. And she's, you know, she's a very sort of, I don't know, she seems way ahead of her time, right? Right. Like, let's just do, like, we can do this. Let's do what we want to do. We only live once. Like, let's take opportunity. Let's do live the life we want to live. And then Stella is sort of a foil to that or vice versa. But like, there's a rep- a repeated sort of phrase of that Rick, Pam, and somebody else, I feel like, says it uh, about Stella, don't live somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. And that's really important, right? Like, that's a pretty progressive idea for women at that time to be pushed along. Now, granted, the book was only written three or four years before 
the movie. So like it is of that time. And it's really it really is, you know, kind of standing on the foundation of these ideals of like, I guess, kind of women's liberation in a way. Like it's got that stuff going on underneath, like the whole construct of Stella being kind of she's fucking 20 and she's basically imprisoned by her grandfather. Oh, God. What was that scene was so I mean, sorry, that line just like shook me to the core. What did the grandpa say to her? It was like, um, she's too weak to make friends. Yeah, yeah. There's this whole thing of like, no, I need to like the the overprotectiveness and like to a fault, like keeping her away from the world. It's basically the shielding your child, the innocence of your child. Like you can't. Right. They have to fucking learn the truth and grow up and move on. And so all of that stuff being in there with with the characters like Pam and even in a in a way, Holloway, the the she sort of becomes the evil person in this. She's the opposite. Right. Like she's trying to keep people locked in. Yeah. Like her whole thing. And. And what what actually becomes true is that she is, in a way, uh, a metaphor in in and of herself for that. Right. Like she ends up being the crazy one, quote unquote crazy, Um, Um, you know, and I think you can make that connection where it's like, yeah, when you hold on, when you try to, like, keep things the way they were, keep people from seeing the truth, uh, uh, you know, keep people from. From being liberated or or from just being enlightened in general, that is going to make you crazy, mm-hmm. not them. Totally. And um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. What I was gonna say on that, what you had started saying to, to bring it all back, the um, I think that's why I like liked the sibling thing. Like you saw, it, you you put it forward as. Oh, it feels like they're siblings just so that way, of course, that means it's going to be about them meeting people and getting into a romance, leaving open for that. But I read it the opposite where I'm like, how refreshing to not have it be sort of like this concentric around a man and woman couple from the get go and just having a woman be a sister who's like the main character and that be it. You know, I, 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 that's how I I read into it. I don't mean to malign it. I just like the first reaction I had was sort of like brother and sister buying a house and living together is just a construct that uh, seemed weird. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's but just when not the, the, a, like when the middle, si- middle-aged, not middle-aged, but like whatever, adult Here, adults. The d- details aside of that, what I think that was wrapped up in also for me, like I love stories where it's just like, and here, but today, this was the inciting incident, meaning, ah, but then the dog ran into the mansion and their lives were forever changed. Right, right, So because it was all wrapped up in that too, I just, that worked for me. Yeah, Um, I mean, it makes sense. I think the other, the the thing that, well, we could talk about this and things that didn't work, but like they do end up coupling up, right? And I was like, well. I mean, hey, isn't that better than them just living together as siblings forever? (laughs) (laughs) Uh no, I don't know. If you, if you were so weirded out by them living together as siblings alone in this big house. I wouldn't say I was weirded out. I just was like, it seems like a device. Okay. Um, the last last thing that I didn't mention I did want to is actually just some of the deeper themes that were there for me that, that we, I haven't mentioned. And there's one, you know, seems like 
it's there in so many of the movies that we watch, but the idea of how to deal with the past, how do you reconcile it? Is, is you know, the idea of moving on a fallacy, you know, or is it better just to somehow get a part of you? How do you do that? Um, I like it to put it as, can we ever make peace with the past? Mm-hmm. And to have that all in the story of, I don't know, it, it just instills it right in you, like those scenes where, um, you know, Rick's arguing to her when she's there reminiscing for the first time. Wow, I remember this, you know, from when I lived here when I was three. And Rick's like, well, this is our home now. You know, you don't have to worry about all these things. Just kind of, and and you do want to think that with houses that you can, okay, this this new good energy in it is the thing that it now is, but it always does. You can't, you can't completely erase something's past so just the, the house you. the story yeah exactly exactly but it's looked at in that very binary way a lot of the times yeah which isn't good yeah, and, which is i don't i don't understand that but you know well okay, it's people do it it's it's it's, <laughs> it's cool how we i don't know this this is a really neat story to explore that idea yeah cool I don't know what's said about it but yeah all right well let's hear it tim there was anything that you had, I want to know what did not work. It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I was reading some essay on this. It said, um, the jokes may be telegraphed, but never the jolts. Um, hmm, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I think that was, you know, I said, I said a lot of it. I think now that I know what it is, will grow on me. But as far, I'm just, this is the section for it. I just want to specify again. This is very first time viewing, like the 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 more egregious thing in the the second half that felt kind of just like dragging was when it kind of like felt like it was. Where other haunted house movies, the innocence that we've watched, some of the other ones, um, it feels like you know you kind of have the midpoint and then all the evil. Uh, all the, the 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 haunted aspect that just kind of starts ramping up more and more. This it kind of felt like it it stayed more rooted in its melodrama in the second half, and yeah. I like that stuff. Like I like those movies, and when it's done well, mm. um, but it was this weird kind of not expecting that. Um, but then the, the the worst of that was though in that second half that maybe was dragging for me a bit, not holding my attention as much. Um, um was the uh god it was this character that just felt like this played for laughs uh woman who like had a this over-the-top performance i forget and when when it was they're at the house i want to say when she's at the recovery house yeah miss bird yeah i think that was her it feels yeah feel it actually felt kind of weirdly exploitative to me yeah yeah where it's like Hey, here's an insane person. Here's a depiction of a woman who's insane. Like, he 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 he. But the, there was like music over it, playing it for. Dude, so light, that's my laughs. big issue with this whole movie. P- the score sucks. Like, it is, it is such a style of like, it's a cartoon style. Like, I think of it in that those terms where it's like, if somebody walks up the stairs, it's like dun 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 dun. You know, like everything is sort of like played to the action. And I just, it doesn't work for me. Like It's I, too I, much of a story world, like, kind right. of thing. Well, but... Yeah, it's like somebody will tell a joke, and it's like, ba-da-ba-da-ba, 
And it's like, oh, God. I will say, uh, just uh, to offset it, though, going back to what worked, the music that he composes and plays on the piano that's used as a theme kind of throughout, that is cool. I thought that was a really neat thing. That's fair. It's just the style of that scoring for film. Yeah. Really pisses me off. It just, it's, I get it, because at the time, that, that was the norm, no problem, whatever. But, like, imagine this movie with, like, a really dark, ominous score. Right, right. Holy shit. Or, like, a Danny Elfman or, you know, something that really makes you, you kind of, like, gives gives the world character as opposed to playing to the, vi- like, the... Mm, the acting style or whatever. It's I feel like doing. that's what we had to wait for um, crossing over into 1960 with the innocence yeah. for, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. Well, what were um, you going to say? What did, what didn't work for you? I mean, that was the big one for me. It was the consistent one that I just was like, ah, oh, damn it. Like yeah. every time it came back, you know, it just made like the way I thought about it when, when I was thinking about like, what did I actually think about the movie my reaction would be a sarcastically being like, well, it was just delightful. Mm. You know, it just has that kind of canned nature to it in that respect. That was so minuscule next to like the haunting, effective atmosphere of it all, though. I I agree in 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 this sort of a (laughs) I get what you're saying. It is minuscule, but it it. It so undercuts the goodness of the movie. Right. And it just, I, you know, it bums so me out. Is that why you're a stream it, not a rent it? Yeah. I mean, almost entirely. You know, like, Ray Meland is fine. <laughs> I like him. I don't know. At, at first, I was kind of like, he's a poor man's Jimmy Stewart, just because they looked so similar. Or, But then I realized, no, you know, Jimmy's so Jimmy that sometimes you got to get you gotta yeah. get a, oh, yeah, a, a, yeah. a ray. <laughs> um, what else didn't really work for me? Uh, I mean, it is really mostly that the attempted comedy, the style of comedy, because because some of the jokes are fine, but the style of comedy and that's that era of like, uh, aw shucksing things. Right. I just I want. I just like re- more realism and it, and there is realism in a, in it. And that's what pisses me off because I'm like, I we don't need this other thing. That thing that you're talking about, though, it just my recollect my experience watching it. I felt like it was so isolated to like a moment or a scene kind of thing it, or like it, it a is. character. So it was really easy just to be like, OK, as time goes on, this is just going to take on a charm that I kind of just like like for what it is kind of thing. But yeah. um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beyond that, eh, you know, I think the second half kind of drags on a bit where it's like there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of them kind of being like, well, I guess we should go get Stella, but she's over here and we need to go over there and now she's over here and we need to go over there and it just becomes this like sort of back and forth where it's like let's let's move on the last 20 minutes of the film i kind of was like all right guys no i i was feeling let's wrap it up because we're we're we get it we're there let's 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 get to the punch right 
And the punch is good. That's the thing. It's like, that's what kind of annoyed me where I was like, we're just kind of dragging it out a little bit here and it's not serving the story necessarily. Well, um, beyond want- that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty great. I was going to, sh- should we make sure we aren't dragging beyond what we have sure. to and <laughs> get to things of note? Yeah. All right. Things of note. This should be interesting. So, Tim, now I want to start off right um, with episode 101 here, what I wish we had done for all the episodes before, which was try to keep track of if there were any indelible moments for us. Okay. (laughs) This is how we'll always start things of note. It'll be things of note slash indelible moments. Indelible moments, meaning we think are some things that are especially unique to horror movies and that even the worst of horror movies, because they are horror and allow for crazy, specific, out there situations, uh, there will be something indelible, meaning specific, um, interesting, um, odd, specific, all those things. (laughs) Yeah. It's just indelible is such a better word for indelible, so that's why it's hard to... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know what it means, but anything for this movie? I don't. I mean, for me, it's the, the dog chasing the squirrel. <laughs> the fact that it went beyond two shots. Uh, yeah. Pretty- <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, man, you know, I think just as a visual moment, well, not just a visual, I guess it's sort of a... an emotional shocker sort of like exciting moment like the way the cliff crumbles out from under her when she gets to the edge of it the the second time is it's so good yeah like it looks fantastic in fact it made me go holy shit how how the fuck did they do that yeah. Um, and to me, that's kind of, especially in horror, it's like anytime I'm wondering or like excited to figure out how a thing was done because the visual was that, you know, compelling. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the one for me. I mean, her her character is pretty indelible to me. And so like those two things together in that moment are really great. There's that shot of her from rick's point of view when she when she has fallen and the cliff is crumbled underneath her and she's grabbed onto the tree and she's reaching up and there's a you know a pov from rick on the cliff looking down at her and she's looking up and there's this sort of it the fucking you know ocean down cliff rocks down below her like it's a beautiful shot so for yeah. me that that little sequence really kind of sealed it cool all right other things of note um let's see we have Charles Lang Jr., who's the cinematographer, he's nominated for an Oscar on this film. Oh, nice. Went on to do... Oh, he I, I recommended uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. He went on to do that. Some like it hot. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, we mentioned this was based on the novel by Irish author Dorothy McArdle, and the name of it was actually called, not The Uninvited, but Uneasy Freehold. Interesting title. So, uh... Oh, but but uh, not just renamed uninvited for uninvited for the film, but for its U.S. publication. So, you can look up both of those, Tim. Um, interesting indeed. Uneasy freehold. Hmm. Huh. 
Hmm. <laughs> uh, the film has been claimed by contemporary film scholars as being among the first films in history to portray ghosts as legitimate entities rather than illusions or misunderstandings played for comedy. So That's yeah, cool. before this, what we were saying, this was very much ghosts were just kind of either the Abbott and Costello kind of toned thing right. or like, oh, it was all the Scooby-Doo thing, you know? Right, right. So, um, yeah, again, just giving credit, credits due, and that's it's kind of gone on to um, be so noteworthy for a big, a big reason. Um, so, uh, poor Kale <laughs> Russell. Um, I don't know if it's even, even worth mentioning. I mean, I, I mean this stuff as just like, you know, in the when someone's led a tragic life, I don't want I it's like, that's, it's it's weird because it's like that's all I, I don't want that to be all that we know about them and that's what they're remembered for. But at the same time I wanna like acknowledge and you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But she uh she died at like thirty six and just oh, wow. the um basically just due to alcoholism where she was ushered into the studio system like literally out of high school, <laughs> still in high school, um, just based on her looks. And um, the the stress of being on set and just like, you know, the way being treated, you know, generally and all that stuff, she just used alcohol as a coping mechanism, was always super stressed on set, had like debilitating um, uh, just uh, self-consciousness. She said that like meeting new people made her sick and want to run away, like when on the set of the new movie. But um, yeah. It was a really bad time for young women to be in the studio system. There's, um, I I recommended it a long time ago. There's a podcast called You Must Remember This. And they do a a whole series on the sort of MGM, like, heyday. And it Mm. talks a lot about the the treatment of actors, men and women, um, in particular the, the kids who were acting, you know, anywhere up to about 20 and they it's pretty it's pretty egregious like the mistreatment of them and the body shaming the the like contractual obligations to stay under a certain weight like all that shit judy garland's probably one of the most i was gonna say ones you hear wrecked for it you hear those stories like judy garland even natalie wood and just yep druggy you know uh drugs I mean, they being were put just, on them like they're being yeah, they were being <laughs> fed amphetamines constantly well, to stay thin. Yeah. It's really, really fucked up. Man, Gail, yeah, she's, yeah. And alcohol, like as teenagers, they're being given all sorts of shit just to keep them in line. It sounds like, yeah, Gail's just like, just a kind of ushered of in. Well, when it is weird that she's basically singled out by like a big producer and just like an actuality, just like, you know, hey, you're instantly going to be in these movies all of a sudden given a contract deal because of that. And you'll catch up. You'll figure out acting as you go along. Well, Um, and let's not beat around the bush. If you think the the sort of the comeuppance that's happening with, you know, powerful men in in Hollywood is is a new thing. Like, like, rest assured, back then it was a thousand times worse. I was happy so, to, yeah. I was yeah. really, I was happy to hear to, uh, Ray Milland, uh, the director said on set that, like, uh, he would just be constantly, like, rehearsing with her to make her just try to feel comfortable. Like, just, That's he cool. really, really took her under his wing 
in that yeah. way. I mean, hopefully also as a device to keep, you know, whichever douchebag producer or whoever who was probably breathing down her neck every 10 seconds away from her. It was apparently the guy who played her grandfather. He was, um, how he treated her was just like very like, she didn't work her way up. What about, you know, you got to be a professional kind of oh, like, God. put it that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fucking fragile, fragile old white dude. Yeah. Anyway, uh, here. rest in peace, Gail Russell, who, um, whose next film actually went on, next thing I had, was that there was an immediate follow-up to this, a suspense thriller called The Unseen. Gail mm-hmm. Russell playing a different character. <laughs> so it's weird. It's kind of like same director, um, actually a script by Raymond Chandler. Um, My favorite! Yeah, not. It sounds like it wasn't as good, but they this was successful enough. They did an immediate, quote-unquote, follow-up. <laughs> you know, a lot nice. of the same people involved, though not a direct sequel. Um, it made me happy to hear being from where I hail, Northern California Bay Area. The film was filmed there, uh, around Fort Bragg, around the Russian River. They said, "Yeah, cool." San Francisco, yeah, cliffs, all that. Um, so this was yeah. I was super confused when the movie started because I was like, "Oh, that's the California coastline," and then they were (laughs) like, "We're in England," and I was like, "What?" Yeah. Um. (laughs) Beautiful. Made me miss it up there. Um, Let's go. Mendocino. I'll just drive up there. I haven't been I haven't been up the PCH in a long time. So, yeah. I Let's know go. I was, uh, uh, sure. We should do a, a filming locations tour of, of this and whatever else we could. That would um, be sweet. Last bit, I just had a couple of my favorite uh, excerpts from an interview with a director, Lewis Allen. This was his first film. Um, it says, this is from the Criterion's website uh, where they say the following is exerted from an interview that was conducted in 1997 and included in Tom Weaver's 2004 book, Science Fiction and Fantasy Film Flashbacks. So that's where this is from with the director, Lewis Allen. I love the question. Uh, Since The Uninvited was your first film directing job, I was wondering if you'd be able to remember 50 plus years later what scene you shot the first day. I'm smiling already, Tim. Yes, I can. It was the scene in the house with the dog and the squirrel. (laughs) It took a whole day to get that squirrel to run up the chimney. The man who owned the dog was a fellow called Weatherwax. He owned owned a, a lassie. He had the dog and he also had the squirrel. We spent the whole day with just the camera crew and the squirrel and the dog getting the squirrel to go up the chimney. That was my first day as a director. (laughs) <laughs> man i feel like this is really close you know akin to my daily routine because i go out and i have my coffee on my little patio and gary the squirrel comes by and we hang out together i got a good picture of the two of you by the way <laughs> oh nice um and then next question i liked the this is it and all they have to the uninvited is widely regarded as one of the top ghost movies a lot of people say it's the best ghost movie what is the key to making a, su- a successful ghost movie like the uninvited well i think the whole point when you're making a scary movie is to try and be honest and as straightforward as you can and not be a phony i treated the uninvited as though i believed in it that's my whole explanation for that. Tim, that's what I'm always saying. I want the filmmaker to be like, at least in the, the, the treating it as real when they're making it. Yeah. No, so, that's huge. Yeah, that was really cool just to get that, um, I don't know, 
not vindication for like I'm always saying that, but like I I look towards that and relate and want to make similar films. So it's cool hearing that cool. from back then. Great. All right. Well, if that's it for the uninvited, next we have a couple recommendations for you. Tim, what do you want to recommend, Dead? Anyone listening? So I've mentioned before, I think, or maybe I just talk about this a lot in my life, the Golden State Killer. Yeah. Um, who is a serial killer who basically was prolific for about mm, 14 years or something like that. What's his Killed, name? Uh, Joseph D'Angelo, piece of shit. <clears throat> So I'll see if I recognize it that way, you know, just in the... I don't yeah. think so yet because he's he's sort of one of the most un... kind of, I don't know, unpublicized in a way. Like, he doesn't... Because he had not been caught, nobody knew who he was until two years ago. Mm. And so he... He's one of the longer sort of standing unsolved, had been the longer standing unsolved mass serial killers. He killed at least 12 people. Um, there's t also two suicides that occurred sort of as a result of things that he did. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you could kind of say that in a way he killed those two people too because his impact on their lives. Um and he raped, oh, God, I mean, over 50 women, which is just ugh, horrible to think about. So anyway, he was active from like the early 70s into the early 80s and then just disappeared. And so Tim's recommendation is the Golden State Killer. No, I'm no, <laughs> unsolved for 40 years. And then they, they ultimately caught him with DNA. But they're is a book that the woman who essentially helped get him caught in a lot of ways, this woman, Michelle McNamara was a true crime writer and she got really obsessed with this case and she ended up dying while writing the book because she, she essentially worked herself to death, hmm. which is really sad. Um, but they released the book, her husband and the other colleagues that were working on it with her eventually released a book. I read it a couple of years ago and I think I may have recommended the book a long time ago. But HBO has made the book into a docu-series, and there are three episodes so far. And, man, I'll tell you what, like, the book is amazing, so definitely read it. But, the, the being, like, watching interviews with victims and, like, seeing footage of Michelle, like, talk about the case and, like, her investigation into it and her, you know, how she wrote the book is really compelling and, and quite sad. Um, but... You know, knowing that D'Angelo ultimately got caught and largely because of the work that she put in, at least to at, at the very least to spur the DAs into more action after so long of this being a cold case. Wait, so, sorry, did the author live to see him be caught? No. Wow. No. Did she know who he was, but it was just about getting the evidence? Nope. No. <laughs> wow. The last passage of the book is a letter that she wrote to the killer before knowing who he is. Hmm. And it's read the book. I'm not going to spoil the last page of the book, <laughs> but it is it's quite remarkable about a year. Man, it might not even have been a year after the book came out. They caught him. Well, how about can you just recommend it as the book and the show? Yeah, I mean, assuming I didn't recommend the book, I think I did, but whatever. I don't um, remember. It's called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark." 
I don't both think you the, did. Both the series and the book are called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's, it's on HBO. It's fucking really good. Great. Great. The end. Um, I'll keep mine short cause it's just kind of like one of the new releases that you hear great things about that I just finally saw. And I agree with was portrait of a lady on fire. It was great. It was so good. I watched it last night. Um, you're looking at, you know, you don't know much about it. I don't know anything about Do you recognize it. The name of it. Um, well, here's the little synopsis. On an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. Um, does it ring a the bell? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, she made it's by the filmmaker Celine, it's a French, um, Celine Schiama. I don't know how you'd say that French. She made Water Lilies, Tomboy, Girlhood. <laughs> I'm surprised, yeah, it was getting all the kind of acclaim. It was playing at the Vista before, uh, you know, movies weren't playing anymore. Um, But man, I got, I just got so wrapped up in it. And it's, I I guess I will say, I mean, it was, it was like, just, just when a film can capture kind of the like, uh, I guess, sexual tension between two people and have it be all about that and have it be about um, like with, with basically no conceivable, you know, um, uh, uh, score to it too, except for diegetic music, uh, you know, hmm. used really well here and there. It It's, it's, you know, it's gotta be real. The performances and man, you just get sucked right in. The, the colors are incredible. Um, I don't, I, I guess I want to go on, but I really don't like saying much about stories at all if I haven't seen them. So that's why I'll just leave it at that portrait of lady on fire. If you haven't seen it. Cool. Great. All uh, right. All right. So next, uh, we got a poll and find out next week's film, Tim, it's your turn. Oh, baby. Here we go. There's a th- headphones in the hat i don't know why that happened all right Tim, what is episode 102 102 is this one right here it is called Ooh, it's called gothic oh gothic 1986 submitted by my bud shane all right great yeah. great we um uh we saw a trailer for this movie and we're like what is this i've never heard of this looks so weird did we Um, see it in when we went to see the cured no this is from 86 (laughs) um so it was on a vhs we were watching a vhs of like (laughs) we might have been it might have been when we watched the gate or something like that on vhs oh Um, my god we were staying somewhere that had uh that's had a vcr and the tape collection and we were both like that movie looks crazy look at those visuals and um Anyway, he's like, "That's my. This is my submission for your podcast. I want." Wow. Wait, what? What is it called? <laughs> Gothic. Gothic. All right. So I feel I, like we've heard of or seen something by this director, Ken I Russell. I think so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken Russell. Um, what's he? Oh, he did Tommy in Altered States. Holy and, shit! And the one that I've recommended, um, The Devils. That's right, and The Devils. Yeah. Cool. All right. right. All right, I'll I'll be sure to, sure to let Shane know, and I. I man, I hope this is like a fucking hidden gem. <laughs> I don't don't get your uh, expectations so high. I'll always be the one to tell you that, Tim. <laughs> um, but a curiosity nonetheless. 
we hope you watch it and join us next time here at Dismembering Horror for Gothic. Um, we our, our big ask, if you haven't already, is tell a friend if you made it this far. We, we don't ask for a review as much as we love it. We don't ask for this or that. But, hey, we just thought we'd make it that. Like-minded friend who want to hang out with us, be here. Tim, what are you doing? What? Did you say your thing? <laughs> no. I was just looking at you. <laughs> I was like, so distracted. I don't know. Go just, on. I'm listening. That, that, that was it. I just looked to you like kind of like anything else, Tim. But no, Tim's Never. got nothing. All right. <laughs> In which case, we will now officially wrap up and say thank you so, so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Ha, 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 ha.